Having a versatile, high-quality piece of clothing feels great, but having a whole closet full of favorites feels even better. American Giant puts the quality, durability, and comfort they're famous for into everything you need for your spring days. From premium t-shirts and jeans to lightweight French terry joggers and their legendary best hoodie ever. Get 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's American-Giant.com, code STAPLE20. Spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Super Light Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. That means more comfort and less baggage. Experience how Allbirds is redefining comfort. Visit allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. Hundred and sixty fourth edition of the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast in Nashville, Tennessee. I'm the professor, Matt Perkins. In a deep curl across the Harpeth River from me here in the Music City, it's our own offensive coordinator, the coach, Corey Burton. What's up, guys? Uh, another another day, another show. Ready to preview a lot of great matchups. It's gonna be a huge, heavy week here in college football. And I'm excited, man. And it's homecoming week, so I'm gonna break out the Letterman's jacket tomorrow for Retro Day and see if it uh, see if it fits. So I'm excited. And Coach, we might have to upload a picture of that to our Twitter feed. Um, no doubt. Well, uh, we can't get this show started without the third amigo in the second city, a man who only sees movies with live accompaniment. It's our intrepid blogger from Big Ten and Counting, Josh Cook. Yeah, that's my plan for tomorrow evening. Little date night going to. The Davis Theater in Chicago, where they will have a live organist with the uh, horror classic Nosferatu. Should be an exciting evening. Um, everyone loves German expressionism. <laughs> well, I do. So that's all that matters. Um, great slate of games here for week five. We've got five ranked versus ranked matchups, which we'll get to in our deep roots here in a little bit. Uh, also, a lot of intriguing games out west in the Pac-12, but let's get started with some quick slants. Josh, you're up first. Yeah, just uh, two uh, player personnel type things that I wanted to get to. One uh, happened a few weeks ago, but uh, just never found a time to, to fit in the show with so much other excitement, but... Got to mention uh, Callie Brownson at your school, Matt, Dartmouth. Uh, she was brought on as a preseason intern. Since has gotten a uh, offensive assistant position, she's the first female coach in college football. And pretty much every study known to the world is diversity, diversity in a Career setting is good because people bring different experiences, different ways of thinking, different ways of approaching the situation, and it makes sense. And when you see some of the old fuddy-duddy coaches doing the same 
stupid thing week in, week out. Hopefully, uh, Callie Brownson brings a new way of thinking for the mean green. That's the positive side. Uh, the negative side is Kelly Bryant. And I'm not hammering him because he has a right to transfer schools. I have a problem with Dabo Sweeney bringing in another quarterback. Uh, I don't think it was ever a fair competition. And I actually think it's the bad move because Clemson's offensive line at times hasn't really impressed me. I think Kelly Bryant's athleticism and being a very mobile quarterback would have helped if Clemson is to make it to the playoffs again. And so, hey, a starter that went 16-2, and I think he's got a really good arm. I think he's got amazing wheels to him. He reminds me of uh, Brad Banks, who finished runner-up in the Heisman. So, hey, Kelly Bryant, you want to – you want to do well, come on to University of Iowa. We'd love to have you. Well, uh, that's an interesting take right there. I, I, I think it's <laughs> – Josh, that is, I think that, that is the hottest take I've heard on this one. I, I think you're the first person I've actually heard to say – I've heard say that you think it, Brian is genuinely the better option for this team at the moment. Um, yeah. Against top-end talent, Yes. Against Charleston Southern, it doesn't matter. All right. Uh, Coach, how do you, uh, what are your thoughts here on, on the Bryant Clemson situation? Well, you knew that when Trevor Lawrence signed, and you knew that it was going to eventually happen. You didn't know exactly when, to be honest, I thought it was going to happen right out of training camp. Um, right after spring practice. I thought that's when they were going to make the decision. But, um, you know, I thought Kelly Bryant did everything he could to, to hold on to the job, and it just, you know, just wasn't meant to be for him. And now he's going to get a chance to transfer and go play somewhere and still give himself a shot at the NFL. I think it's a good move for him. I, I think uh, despite maybe your thoughts on him not making the right decision on who should be starting – he at least made the right decision in making a decision now giving uh, that gives Kelly Bryant a chance to, to get out and go play somewhere because uh, he still has aspirations for the league. So um, did he make the right decision? Only time will tell, but he did make it, I think in an appropriate time frame. So uh, it gives Kelly Bryant a chance to, you know, to get some playing time and finish out his college career. So I'll give Dabo uh, some, some props there. Um, to be honest with you, I don't know what I would have done. Um, you're really just basing it on uh, superior talent versus superior experience. Um, you know, I, I think Trevor Lawrence is the more talented one. Kelly Bryant is probably the best in um, most pressure cooker situations. So uh, it just depends on what you want and what you feel like that you can do with Trevor Lawrence. You know, it's it's his prerogative. They're paying him, you know, $7 million a year to make those decisions. He's made more right decisions than wrong ones. So I'll trust his judgment on that, and uh, we'll see what happens. My biggest issue with Dabo 
in this whole situation was the press statement he released. I don't, I don't remember if it was an interview or a press conference or a statement that was released where he said, oh, I could have named him the starter and prevented him from transferring. That seemed really disingenuous to me and came across as Dabo trying to pat himself on the back and make himself look like the good guy in the situation. I don't think there is a good guy or a, a bad guy necessarily. It's a difficult situation. If Dabo thinks that Trevor Lawrence is the best option for his team, that's his prerogative to do. But I don't think that he needs to come out and make himself seem like he's doing this really super gracious gesture by letting Bryant transfer. Well, I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why Clemson fans are going to regret it. So Furman, they were identical. They picked the Paladins apart. Who cares? Uh, against Georgia Southern, you know Kelly Bryant. They only let him throw ten times, but it's Georgia Southern. Who cares? Against Georgia Tech, hey, writing was probably on the wall. They only let Kelly Bryant throw ten times. But I seem to have omitted a game, and that was their battle with Texas A&M, the only competent team they've played so far this season. Kelly Bryant, 12 of 17, 205 yards, a touchdown. He was also their leading rusher in that game. Trevor Lawrence doesn't bring that rushing. Trevor Lawrence is a freshman. Uh, Let me know how it goes if they lose the ACC title game. Let me know how Trevor Lawrence does with being a statue in the playoffs if Clemson makes it that far. I think this is a dumb decision. All right. Well, Coach, let's move on from that decision by Clemson. Sticking to the Southeast, though, there is you know, a, lot of, a lot of games in the SEC this weekend. Nothing that's a true marquee matchup, but a lot of intriguing ones nonetheless. Yeah, I mean, you've got, you know, first off, you've got um, the Dan Mullen Bowl. Uh, with the Mississippi State Bulldogs hosting the Florida Gators. Uh, it'll be uh, Dan Mullen's first trip back to Starkville, um, but this time as a visiting coach. So that'll be that'll be interesting. Mississippi State looking to uh, avenge their loss. Uh, we could go to Kentucky. So um, I imagine they will put uh, put a uh, quick few scores up on Florida and, and really kind of make this one lopsided. Kylan Hill is going to – their leading rusher going to get going. Uh, Nick Fitzgerald uh, and Kylan Hill are going to kind of complement each other really well, and uh, I think they'll get back on track there. Uh, Kentucky looks to um, continue its hot streak. Uh, they're ranked 17th in the country, actually, uh, coming into this game. They host the Gamecocks of South Carolina. Uh, Benny Snell rushing for 540 yards on the season uh, thus far. Uh, Jake Bentley um, looking to kind of, get his team back on track in, in conference. They're, they're one and one in conference and, and they need to make some, uh, you know, make up some solid ground here and, and they get a chance to do so against Kentucky, but Kentucky's red hot. So we'll see how that matchup fares there. Um, LSU number five, LSU is hosting Ole Miss. This is a dangerous matchup because I think um, what Ole Miss does really well is kind of what LSU doesn't do very well. And that's to defend the, tempo spread uh, offense. I think if Auburn had um, better weapons, I, I think they would have would have come out ahead uh, of, of LSU on that. And I think LSU kind of kind of lucked themselves into that win. Um, they dodged a bullet, so to speak. If Jared Stidham would have been more on target and they would have had more uh, better of a run game, I think L- we're, we're talking about 
Auburn winning that game instead of LSU a couple of weeks ago. So that's that's and it's a big rivalry too. The uh, the Magnolia Trophy uh, is at stake here. So Ole Miss is is a tough out. I think LSU probably will will come out on top. But uh, look look out for uh, look out for the connection of Jordan Tiamu and AJ Brown. Uh, Vanderbilt hosting TSU. Um, Again, just uh, just the inner city, uh, just the, the Battle of Nashville. Uh, that's always an interesting game. Uh, TSU coming in two and zero. Southern Miss, the Mustard Buzzards travel to the Plains, uh, take on tenth rate Auburn Tigers. Um, Jack Abraham of the uh, Mustard Buzzards already over a thousand yards with ten touchdowns, uh, rushing uh, stats for Auburn. Uh, Jatarvius Whitlow, I think I said that right. Um, they'll need to get him going and get him more involved to help Jarrett Stidham and to help kind of uh, complement that passing game because when Gus Malzahn's offense is running well, it's with because of balance. So uh, look for uh, look for Auburn to work on improving their run game here. Uh, Texas A&M hosting Arkansas. Uh, Kellen Mond again over over a thousand yards on the season, seventy-two of one twenty-two for seven touchdowns. He's having a big year uh, in his sophomore year for for the Aggies. Aggies uh coming off a huge loss to to Alabama uh in which they were uh, I don't want to say they were dominated because the score is a little bit closer uh than it appeared, but um you know they still got some work to do and uh they host Arkansas who's uh who comes limping in after uh getting throttled when Auburn didn't even show up. Uh so if they were if they were half a legitimate team, they probably would have uh, given Auburn a run. But Auburn slept walked to a thirty-four to three. I think that was the score, thirty-four to three beat down. Uh, the Raging Cajuns uh, with Ed Orgeron as their mascot come strolling into Tuscaloosa. Uh, not don't need to say much about that. But Tua Tagovailoa uh, going to continue to get work there uh, and and uh, showcase his talents there. Uh, Georgia is hosting the volunteers at Sanford stadium. Um, the number two ranked Georgia Bulldogs, uh, surprisingly giving up 172 rushing yards against Missouri. That'll be an interesting contest. Uh, Elijah Holyfield is probably going to get most of the work. Deandre Swift is banged up. So, uh, he was a limited participant in practice this week. So we'll see how much, uh, how much work he gets in the game. Probably, uh, he probably won't sit out, but he probably won't get as much work as he usually does, and, and they'll lean on Elijah Holyfield. Also look for leading receiver Nicole Hardman uh, to get a lot of good work here. And uh, this game is <laughs> – this is probably the largest in-conference line I've seen uh, in the SEC. Uh, UGA is favored by 31.5 points. Um, conventional wisdom would tell me that Georgia's never – cover to spread that big, but uh, those were Mark Rick's Bulldogs, and uh, this is a different breed, so I might be inclined to take that spread uh, if I was betting, and uh, and not to mention, I think Aunt, Aunt Sally is safe for at least another week in her Survivor League, so that should be fun, and uh, we should see more of Justin Fields in this contest as well uh, to get him some, some good valuable work, as they'll probably put this thing to rest pretty soon. So, that's kind of your conference, guys. Any... Uh, and, and I want you guys to participate in this quick slant. Um, so I want you, I want to ask you, what is the, what do you guys feel like is the most intriguing matchup in the SEC? Josh, do you have thoughts on that? I do for sure. You go first, Matt. Okay. Yeah, we'll... South Carolina, Kentucky. 
I think that is that's the game of the weekend in the conference to me. I think that's the battle for second place in the East, if you're asking me. It, it might be, but I still, you know, I, I still want to see it. I want to see Benny Snell. I oh, think I'm, I'm just yeah. interested that I want to see Benny Snell. And yeah. South Carolina, I think Vanderbilt has a good defense. And I, so I think that the way that South Carolina was able to build and sustain a lead last week impressed me. So, I, you know, and the fact that Kentucky looks so good against Mississippi State, especially on defense, this could be a really – I think it's going to be a, a very close one. Yeah, that's probably where I was going to go, but for the sake of entertainment, I'll say Florida at Mississippi State. Dan Mullins will know all of his team's weaknesses, and Florida's offense came alive last week. I know it was Tennessee, so that's not saying a whole lot, but uh, at least they look a little bit better here now four weeks in. All right. right. Well – for my slant, I want to look at two undercard games in the Pac-12. I'll start out on the Palouse, where Washington State is looking to bounce back after a close loss on the road in the Coliseum last week to the USC Trojans. They will host Utah, who had a week to recover after their first loss of the season to Washington two weeks ago. This is going to be contrast in styles as the Cougars boast the number two passing attack in all of college football, while the Utes have the number one unit in total defense and passing defense. I'm looking for Utah to try and control the game through time of possession, but if Gardner Minshew and the rest of the Wazoo offense gets rolling early on, it could be a long night for the Utes. Down in the desert, Arizona will host the aforementioned USC Trojans and look to build on their solid victory over Oregon State last week. After starting out very poorly in the first two games of the season, the Wildcats have come on strong the last two weeks on offense, led not by preseason Heisman hopeful quarterback Khalil Tate, but instead tailback J.J. Taylor, who against the Beavers last week had 27 carries for 284 yards and two scores. USC still needs to answer some of the questions that they have on defense and also see if they can win away from the Coliseum. They're 0-2 on the road so far. I'm not entirely sold on this Trojan team at the moment, but I think they have enough residual talent to give JT Daniels his first career road win, but an upset would not completely shock me. Josh, I know you picked Arizona to win the South this year. Do you think they've got a chance here? Well, they've slowly been improving, and they had by far their best game of the season just last week up in Corvallis where they got a monster running game. So, you know, why why am I going to abandon ship? I know they I know they stunk it up early, but they are 1 and 0 in conference and if they can get uh, Khalil Tate having a big day, if they can get that running game going again like it did against the Beavers, of course I'm going to take them. I I'm not I'm not fleeing the bandwagon. I I made a bold prediction. I'm going to keep with it. I'm not feeling the bandwagon either on Utah just yet, but <laughs> if they lose this weekend, they are going to be in a, a big hole. Yeah, it's it's surprising how struggling they've been on the offensive side of the ball because um, they got some nice talent there and they've got a veteran quarterback, so they got to figure some stuff out. They They need to get a running game in order. Yeah, they do. With our slants done, let's now hit a quick pop quiz before heading to the deep roots. Number two pencils and blue books out. This season, 
we've talked about some good defenses so far this year. There are 14 teams that are holding opponents to less than 300 total yards per game. Gentlemen, name those 14 teams. Josh, I will start with you. Well, this one's pretty easy because you've got all 10 Big 12 members. Then you just need to find the other four that are sprinkled <laughs> throughout the country. And one of those four are my Iowa Hawkeyes. That's correct. They're number five in the country, 260 yards per game allowed. Coach. Well, I'll take the easy one off the table, Bama. Alabama. Uh, coach, I'm, I'm sorry to say that is incorrect. They are allowing 325 yards per game. <laughs> All right. Um, this happened a few uh, few episodes ago where you asked a, uh, a question that featured a lot of Big Ten teams, and uh, I'm in luck that this one also features quite a few Big Ten teams. And the Maize and Blue up in Ann Arbor, they've got a rolling defense right now, Don Brown. Number three in the country, 240 yards per game allowed. <sighs> that threw me off. <laughs> so it's not Kansas. It's not Rutgers. <laughs> it's not. It, it is It is Rutgers if you just consider the first half. Their average mm-hmm. 300 yards allowed in the first 30 minutes. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, so does, that, does that count? No, no, uh, I'm sorry, I can't, I can't take negative answers. Ah, uh, brutal. Okay, I'm, I'm gonna stay in the SEC. I'm going LSU. L S who? Nope. Sorry, coach. They're number thirty-eight oh. in the country. Three hundred thirty-five yards per game allowed. I, I will give you a hint. There are three SEC teams in the, that do qualify, though. Mm. Damn! I just named the two best defenses. Apparently. Guess not. So, hmm. Well, I think I might have a few guesses for the SEC, but one team that popped into my head before I start doing guesses is I know Maryland got to them a little bit, but before that, Minnesota's defense was stifling. I'm going to say Minnesota still is hanging in there under 300. Josh, you are oh so close. They are the number 15 team. They are allowing 300.3 yards per game. Oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Mm, 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 mm. All right. So, for the strikeout, I'm going to go with the Wisconsin Badgers. <sighs> Coach, unfortunately, we're going to give you a golden sombrero tonight. Wow. Badgers, 307 or 308 yards per game allowed i get the hat trick yes so you mentioned there are a bunch of sec teams mm-hmm. we've already crossed off bama and lsu mm-hmm. um that to me would leave dogs correct but well um, I, I should say which dogs I was leaning Georgia, but now that you said that, it sounds like there's a trick question. Maybe Mississippi State's also in there. Uh, that was a trick question because they're both in there. Wow. Uh, Mississippi State, number eight, uh, 269 per game. Georgia, 292 per game. Coach, I'm a little disappointed oh. you didn't get Georgia. Well, we gave up a whole bunch to Missouri. Just Yeah, but you didn't allow anyone else to move the ball on you at all before that's, that. That's, that's Is, I thought it skewed our stats. 
I can't think of another SEC team other than Stoops Troops. Is Kentucky still in there? You know it. 280 yards wow. per game allowed. Um, Anyone else? We've already mentioned Clemson? We've already mentioned uh, three, four of these teams on our show so far. Is Clemson in there? Yeah, they're number four, 252. Um, Auburn. Auburn. Nope. The three SEC teams are already out. Auburn's at 316. Oh. They're at number 20. Is Washington in there? Uh, they're number 17, 303 yards per game. But you just add another word after that. The Palouse. Yeah. Wow. State, 266 yards per game allowed. Um, in the country. Tracy where's, where's BYU at? Brigham Young University. They're number 28. They're at 300. Uh-huh. Uh, the, the ones you've missed, guys, I mentioned it. I said they have the number one defense in the country in my quicksand. Apparently, no one pays attention. <laughs> Utah. I said I literally, Utah. I literally gave you an answer. <laughs> I, I said Utah during that whole thing. <laughs> Before, right after I struck out, I said Utah. <laughs> You didn't listen to me either. Okay. Uh, number two, uh, the U. The U? Yep, 224 yards per game. You mentioned Michigan, Clemson, Iowa already. Number six, App State. We got then followed by Wazoo, Mississippi State. Number nine, the Mustard Buzzards. Oh. Number mm-hmm. 10, Cincinnati. Yeah, we got to give the Bearcats more love. Luke Fickle's team, 4-0. and They'll get to 5-0 and because they're absolutely going to cleat Connecticut's clock. Then they'll probably get to... 6-0 and because Tulane's struggling, and that game's up at Nippert Stadium. Uh, so they'll lock down a bowl real quick. Uh, I'm just curious if they can keep it going and somehow steal this division from the defending national champions. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we got Kentucky, Georgia, number 13, Fresno State. Oh, yeah. Fresno's been playing pretty good defense. I and number 14. I feel bad about that one because Fresno and Minnesota, I think the two of them combined for about 300 yards total. <laughs> That's correct. Uh, finally, rounding out at 288 yards per game, Virginia. Bronco Mendenhall getting it done. Yes, he is. All right. Wow. Well, with that, let's hit the deep roots. I think Mark- we're tied now on the season, Coach. With that, guys, let's hit some deep roots. The marquee matchup of the weekend takes place in Happy Valley when the Buckeyes come to town to take on the Nittany Lions. This is a step up in competition for both of these teams. So, Josh, is the home field advantage going to be enough for Penn State to overcome the talent gap between the two teams? Well, it was uh, a few years ago, and you can say that there's a talent gap, but it doesn't feel that way because Trace McSorley is – a proven quarterback. He's gone through a lot of Big Ten battles, and Dwayne Haskins, as amazing as he's been to start this season, uh, he just has the one game against TCU under his belt. He hasn't had the whiteout experience. Uh, We really don't know what the Buckeyes will look like under adversity. Um, Penn State is also the hungrier team, I think, based on what happened last year, which was a total meltdown in the shoe. They had that game won and just gave it away. Uh, So I think there's a lot of factors leading me towards thinking Penn State can win it, and I'm 
concerned about Ohio State's defense giving up big plays left and right. Penn State feasts on the big plays. Um, I think we might see McSorley kick off a legitimate Heisman Trophy candidate, see if the Lions get this win. And I'm I'm honestly 60-40% leaning towards Penn State. Coach, how do you think that, you know, this is going to be the biggest game for Dwayne Haskins in terms of pressure? Because while, you know, TCU and Jarrah World is one thing, I think a whiteout in, you know, in Beaver Stadium is a completely different animal. Yeah, I mean, I, I think right now all the pressure is on Ohio State just because of what's been happening. Uh, Urban Meyer comes back for the first time, and it's uh, – he No, he was back last week. Well, first time in a big game. Yeah. Um, and he would have already had that big game under his belt uh, with TCU. Um, so this is essentially – I mean, last week was kind of like the spring game for him. But, um, you know, he, he comes back, his first big pressure situation uh, with everything that's been happening. So you're, I'm interested to see how he responds – Dwayne Haskins, uh, how is he going to respond in a true road game uh, in a hostile environment in Happy Valley, all that white uh, around him. And I, I'm, I'm kind of lean towards Josh here. I really like Trace McSorley uh, because he has absolutely proven that these are the situations in which he thrives in. Um, he doesn't have Saquon, so it'll be interesting to see what he does with that and, and how he responds to – really just taking the load of this game on his back and, and carrying the team. So um, it's definitely going to be a quarterback battle here. Um, Ohio State's prone to big plays, as Josh just mentioned. So that makes me feel good about picking the Nittany Lions. Um, and, and you always got a, a home night game, wide out. Uh, you've always got to kind of lean towards Penn State in those situations. But um, – Ohio State, you know, they, they have a knack for making a big play themselves. Uh, they're very opportunistic. So if, uh, if Penn State wants to avoid um, a complete meltdown, uh, they need to protect the football. If they protect the football, they should be able to win this game. If, it, if they give any ounce, any inch of momentum towards Ohio State, Ohio State will run, run away with that. And, and that's the only thing that concerns me uh, for Penn State is – giving Ohio State those momentum plays like the pick six on the shovel pass or a scoop and score here or a blocked punt there or, you know, a, a couple of over-the-top bombs uh, out wide uh, with, with Haskins getting settled into the game. Those are the kind of plays that that really benefit Ohio State more uh, than, than Penn State making those plays. And, and that's kind of just how they thrive. And that's how they've been able to thrive this season is off of those big momentum shifting plays. Yeah, Josh, I'm, I'm curious, you know, you've talked about Trace McSorley in big games, but I've been impressed with how well their running game has been holding up without Saquon Barkley. Do you think they'll be able to have success on the ground against, you know, a talented Ohio state front, but they are without obviously their extraordinary defensive end, Nick Bosa. Yeah, I, I think they'll have a little bit of success. It's just not going to be something that Penn State has as much with without Saquon Barkley. Right now, they're getting running success because McSorley just opens everything up for them. I, I think the interesting thing, though, is in last year's game, it was kind of the breakout performance uh 
four other pieces for Penn State than just Saquon Barkley. Uh, the defense played really, really well up until that fourth quarter when they gave up 19 points. Uh, McSorley had a really good day passing the ball. McSorley was also the leading rusher in that game. And what did they get from Saquon Barkley? 44 yards on 21 carries. Saquon Barkley is amazing. He had a very, very limited impact in last year's matchup that Penn State, frankly, should have won. All right. Well, let's move then to our next rank versus rank matchup. Uh, This time, uh, Stanford versus Notre Dame. For the second week in a row, Stanford is on the road against a ranked team, heading to South Bend this weekend to to pay a visit to Touchdown Jesus. Coach, each of these teams have had at least one close call so far this season, and I'm predicting it to be a a slugfest. So, uh, you know, we've seen that Stanford's passing game has been vastly improved this season. So my question for you is how are the Irish going to shut down J.J. Ortega-Whiteside, Colby Parkinson, and the rest of the group of Cardinal receivers? Again, uh, I I say this every week. I feel like – Kind of feel like it's like I'm, I got a script that I'm reading off of, but it's a, it's the absolute truth. You know, get pressure on KJ Costello, shut down Bryce Love, or yeah, just shut down Bryce Love and make them one dimensional. That way, you can pin your ears back, come get them. You can lock down and do some fancy stuff in coverage. Um, if you allow Stanford to be two dimensional with Bryce Love and KJ Costello and and Jaws and all those other guys, um, Colby Parkinson, who is um, Matt's new favorite tight end, and quite frankly, he has <laughs> he has the, the long, one of the longest wingspans I've ever seen. So, um, yeah, just get pressure on, on Costello. Honestly, um, you know he's on the road, so you know hit him a few times, get him out of his rhythm. Um, maybe play some press man and and really just uh, bring some fancy pressure and, and lock down on the outside. I think Notre Dame has the people to do it. They just that's that's the game of aggressive, aggressive, aggressive. Josh, Ian Book's gonna be starting his second game now for the Irish. Do you think he gives them a better chance to win in a game like this than Brendan Wimbush did? Probably, but uh he's still a very big unknown because Wake Forest, hundred and fourteenth in total defense. Stanford's in the 50s. Um, Stanford has already gotten to the quarterback 13 times on the country. That's tied for ninth best in the land. So he's going to see a much better defense just overall, but then he's going to see a much fiercer pass rush. Um, so my, my concern for me would be how does Ian Book respond to what Coach just said, which is, that pressure he he got all day to pick apart the demon deacons he for sure is not going to have that against stanford the aspect that wimbush always brings is his feet so you know book will be the starter but if he's grinding to a halt i think kelly's gonna have to go to wimbush we haven't seen the last of him on the year yeah, Coach, that's I was going to ask you. How much do you expect to see Wimbush in this one, given the fact that he's not starting? Well, it depends. You know, Josh said it depends on how well Ian Book starts. Um, if he starts red hot, 
we won't see any of Wimbush on, on Saturday. But if he struggles, which if Stanford gets pressure on him, and, and they really should, um, then we'll see Wimbush because Wimbush is, has a lot better escapability, as, as Josh alluded to. He's, he's speaking the truth on that. Um, you know, Book is just more accurate and, and a better passer than, than Wimbush is. But Wimbush is a guy that has experience and can also evade pressure, which uh, will come in handy on Saturday. So um, this this game will kind of either cement Ian Book as the starter and that's it, that's all she wrote, or it could uh, it could solidify the fact that uh, it's going to be a two-quarterback system here in Notre Dame and they're just going to try to roll with the hot hand. And, and See, uh, I, I would worry about pulling book too early though because i think that could really mess with his confidence oh it, it definitely could and and uh that's one thing that you know brian kelly i think struggles with is is patience you know i, I think if if it's going south on him he might just he might just pull the plug and say all right we we I, I'm, I'm not i'm not patient i'm not gonna let him work through his struggles we've got to get this game uh give me give me the experience guy and that could end up honestly blowing up in his face so uh, it, it'll be – I'll be watching this with a close eye. I think it's something that um, really favors Stanford um, because the old saying is if you have two quarterbacks, you really don't have one. So, um, you know, they, uh, so this in this competition, all the pressure's on Ian Book, honestly. Uh, I hate to say that, but all the pressure's on him. He, he's got to come out and perform if he wants to – if he wants to keep his job in what is a very volatile quarterback situation still, uh, or very fluid quarterback situation still in my mind, uh, you know, anytime you got Brian Kelly, you know, pushing the buttons, it's never settled until he absolutely comes out and dominates. All right. Well, let's head to another PAC 12 non-conference matchup. This time BYU is uh, playing Washington. It's only the 10th time in their history that these two teams have matched up. They only met twice in the heyday of Don James and Lavelle Edwards during the 80s, which kind of surprised me doing a little bit of research into this one. They split a home-and-home in 85 and 86, but those were days of big offenses. Now both these teams support pretty good defenses, Josh. So which which of these units do you think will find more success? Ooh, that's a great question. Um, I think that... This is. Uh, do you smell that? It, it, it it's a trap. This is the smell of a trap because Washington has two conference games under their belt. They're in that mindset of we are in the Pac-12 race, and now they get this weird non-conference curveball thrown at them. How many teams? How many times have we seen a favored team lose a non-conference game after conference plays start? That doesn't bode well for Washington. What also doesn't bode well for Washington is their offense. We think Miles Gaskin, no problem. We think Jake Browning, no problem. They're currently 40th in passing yards, 86th in rushing yards. That adds up to a putrid 83 in the nation for points for, just 27.3 points per game. And that's even getting an FCS North Dakota team to help pad their stats. That's got to be a huge concern for Washington fans. BYU, they have to be licking their chops. They're playing with house money. They've already gotten their signature win at Wisconsin. This is their last ranked team of the year unless Utah finds their way into the polls 
or BYU finds their way back into the polls. So at getting clear of this one, BYU has to feel like 10-2, 11-1 can almost be penciled in. So huge upset potential. And, Matt, you asked me which defense is going to be up to the task. I'm going to answer it this way. Washington's defense has got to be up to the task if they avoid the upset. Ooh, I like that, Josh. Stop the I'm, I'm, I'm worried about Coach in this one for Washington is that their offensive line has not looked good this year. I expect their offensive line to be very good, and Trey Adams has been hurt, and it's line, this line's falling apart. BYU pushed around Wisconsin, and we thought Wisconsin was pretty good. They haven't quite lived up to expectations, but they've still been much, you know, well above average. Uh, coach, I think that BYU is gonna is really gonna push around and make, uh, you know, make Washington pretty much one dimensional. Yeah, I, I, mean, I really, I'm, I'm with you there. I think BYU, um, their defensive line is, I don't want to say underrated, but they're underrated. Um, and they, you know, anytime you can push around a a talented, even if they're talented just on paper and they're not playing quite as well as they should be, well, maybe they didn't play, maybe they're not playing as well as they should be because, hey, the other guys are on scholarship too and, and, and they, they've recruited some good defensive line uh, or defensive linemen and they're getting really good defensive line play. So, uh, you know, that's, that's a credit to BYU. They've done a tremendous job at developing their defensive front. And and they are, you know, I watched snippets of that Wisconsin BYU game, um, and and they honestly, they're 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 not a bad team to watch. They're pretty fun to watch. They're they're, they're I, I love what they do defensively. They get after you. Um, they they pressure you, and and they just they're just relentless. And so that's going to be a concern for. You know, if you're a Washington Husky offensive staffer, uh, if you're the if you're the coordinator of the uh, of UW, you know you've got to figure out ways to combat such an aggressive, uh, solid offensive line by uh, getting quick balls out to the perimeter, uh, screens, you know, things that will allow you to get the ball out out of uh, Jake Browning's hands quick. Uh, I think the run game is going to be I don't want to say non-existent, but it's going to be. Uh, it, it's not really going to be there much for uh, for, for Washington. I, that's 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 what I'm predicting. But um, uh, one thing before we before we leave this matchup, Josh, you said it smells like uh, it smells like a trap. Well, uh, Matt for my birthday got me a T-shirt that says it's a trap, and I'm pretty sure it's scratch and sniff because I'm wearing it right now. And and, and Josh, you said it, so you yeah, I, think you can, <laughs> I think you can smell the words on my shirt. So perfect. Uh, I'm wearing, I'm wearing the shirt, uh, and it is what I'm going to stand by. It's a trap, but BYU's ranked, and they're ranked for a reason. And so uh, we're going to see that on Saturday, I think. Um, I'm, I'm not ready to call a full-on upset, but Washington, you better bat down the hatches, and you better watch out because BYU's coming. All right. Well, that's going to be a defensive battle, but uh, let's switch gears. Uh, question for you guys. Do you like points? Uh, yeah, sometimes. Yeah, I, I'm I'm the uh, I'm the uh, the show's offensive coordinator, so you know I love points. Well, then, coach, you, you need to be uh, keening your eyes in to Lubbock, Texas, this weekend. West Virginia's coming into town, and it's going to be a race to seventy. Coach, uh, we know these offenses are going to be outstanding. So let's you know look at the other side of the ball. 
Okay. Can either of these defenses do enough to even force a punt? Yeah, I think so. I I, I think. Well, then, I, then who's, whose defense do you trust more at this point? I guess I should say. I trust Texas Tech's defense more. Uh, I, I think David Gibbs has done a tremendous job up there. Uh, they held what everyone thought was a really strong offense on the road at Oklahoma State to just 14 points. So uh, right now, uh, I'm trusting them um, because they, they're getting it done. I don't know how, but they're getting it done. And Texas Tech has somehow found a – Found some semblance of a run game too. They rushed for 130. They had a back go for 130 yards against Oklahoma State. So uh, you got to love the balance offensively. Uh, that'll help them. That'll serve them well uh, on the other side. And they're just they're they're just flat getting it done. Josh, you've long been skeptical of both of these coaches, quite frankly, <laughs> okay. I mean, like you are for for many coaches. But I'd say especially these two to, uh, would you know I would throw up there and mean. Josh's top five of skeptical coaches or coaches who you would most likely to be on questionable coaching. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, both these teams are off to really good starts this year. You think that, you know, has either one of them impressed you more than the other? They have. Uh, one has. And it's going to be a weird stat. I normally don't go with this stat when we're previewing games. But I, I just want to throw time of possession at you. I don't think that's a weird stat. I so, so your number one team, Army, 41 minutes per game. That's to be expected. Simple option. No. Air Force, another option team. Not, not surprising, 39 minutes per game. Uh, Charlotte, a little bit of a wild card. I tried to find their offense. I could not figure out what they ran. Um, they're at 37 minutes per game. Fourth place, Navy. Hey, another option team, 36 minutes per game. This is the impressive thing. Texas Tech Red Raiders, fifth in the country at 36 minutes per game. I mentioned it earlier in the week when we looked back at the week and talked about Texas Tech's big win over Oklahoma State. They had almost 42 minutes of possession that game. The best way to stop Will Greer, coach mentioned it, use that newfound running game, use this time of possession. Just don't even let him on the field. This is a huge opportunity for Coach GQ. I think this is even bigger than the Oklahoma State game because it's one thing to get an isolated upset, and Oklahoma State's a young team. We thought they had overachieved a little bit in their first few games. This is the real deal. This would be backing up the upset. This would be knocking off a proven offensive club with Will Greer with that Dana Holgerson attack. This is the one that I think Texas Tech kind of needs. Coach, do you you agree with that? (laughs) Absolutely. I think it's, you know, this is a huge game for GQ. And, uh, you know, time of possession is a very important stat. If you hold the, if you got the ball, you have more chances to score. And, and Texas Tech does a good job of, um, you know, that comes with balance. You know, it's it's no fluke that they're fifth in the country because they have found they have achieved balance, which um, any any great air air raid team has some 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 semblance of balance. Now, an air raid balance is probably sixty forty, um, but you know that forty percent is extremely efficient, 
and extremely effective 40 percent and it allows them to throw at a 60 percent clip which allows them to rack up yards and points and momentum so um yeah, I, like I think a lot of that is also the improvement of the Texas Tech line, especially when you're, you know, running out of, you know, 10 personnel, 11 personnel, that kind of thing. The offensive line has an onus on them to create those holes. And, you know, one one missed block can lead to a lot of problems, more problems than if you have, you know, those bigger packages in. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and they probably, honestly, these air raid teams don't do a whole lot of complicated stuff in the run game and, and, um, they probably implemented some RPO too out of that 10 personnel so that, you know, it keeps defenses not only spread horizontally, but it, it really plays games with the linebackers. And, and that's a huge, the, the, the advent of the RPO is, has been something that has revolutionized uh, the run game for a lot of these teams that don't normally run the ball well. I cannot wait for Brian Ferentz to add the RPO to Iowa in about 2035. It's going to be amazing. It'll be the same year that uh, the new Bellevue High School will open, so I'm excited. <laughs> All right. Well, finally, Pac-12 After Dark this weekend features Oregon and Cal in Berkeley. The Ducks showed a lot in their loss to Stanford last week, and Cal was a team that we all liked coming into the season and has quietly started 3-0, including a victory over that aforementioned BYU team. Josh, do you see Oregon suffering any sort of hangover after that crazy game against Stanford? I actually don't because I think hitting the road might be the best thing to cure that. Um, As soon as they get there, that hostile road environment, uh, I think Cal fans, they've been notoriously a little fickle, but this is a a rare ranked versus ranked team for the Golden Bears. So I think they'll show up. I think as soon as Oregon hits the field, sees a hostile crowd, gets that Pac-12 after dark, they're going to flush last week out of their system. And Cal has been awesome in their 3-0 start. We really like it. But we also knew that Justin Wilcox had quite the rebuild. We did not think year two they would be nationally ranked contending for the division. I think Cal comes back to earth a little bit. I still like the Bears. I had them winning seven games this year, make it a bowl game. The rebuild is right on schedule. It's just going to have a hiccup this week because Oregon is the better team. They're the more explosive offense with a bear. That's what I like to call them. Mm. I just think the Ducks flush last week and pick up a nice win in Berkeley. Well, speaking of Justin Wilcox, coach, how do you scheme against a guy like Justin Herbert, who is, you know, a obviously last week he was phenomenal throwing the ball so accurate, over ninety percent for the game. And he obviously can run a little bit too, and he's a big kid, 6'6". You know, how do you scheme against a guy like that? Well, you know what helps him scheme against a guy like that is that the fact that Cal is second in the country in interceptions. They have seven of them. Um, One of them was a pick six. Uh, You have guys like Jalen Hawkins, who has – he he is all Pac-12 guy. He he has five interceptions. Ashton Davis has two. Um, so those are two two guys that are in the secondary. Um, also, the Colton Bears are are both in the uh, in two of these categories, uh, both uh, third down uh, related categories. They lead the conference. They lead the Pac-12. They are uh, they force thirty nine percent of uh, three and outs of opponents' drives, 
and they only allow a 25% conversion rate on third down. So the Golden Bears have probably uh, easily, well, definitely uh, statistically the best third down defense in the Pac-12, but I don't know where that ranks nationally, but they are scary good on third down. So if, if Cal can win, find a way to win first and second down, you know, third down has been been really, really good to them. So um, they've really just got to figure out a way to win first down and second down and, and just keep Oregon behind the chains. Uh, Coach, uh, for your information, Cal is ninth in the country in third down conversion percentage defense. Number one, Miami. They are 18%. Number two, Syracuse, 20%. Love that stat, but yeah, um, Syracuse has a big game against Clemson this week. Yeah, uh, we, we didn't really mention much, but um, yeah, heck yeah. But um, you know, so what, what's going to happen is there, there's going to be a lot of uh, matchup issues for Justin Herbert, and that's what kind of allows me to feel good about Cal's chances of winning is the fact that um, if you run into a good defense in this conference, you can you can uh, force Oregon into uncharacteristic errors. That's what Stanford did. Stanford has, has had the superior defense in the conference. We've talked about them. Uh, every, every time we preview them, we talk about Stanford's defense. Every time we do our, our season preview, Stanford's defense is always prominent within the within the preview. I think this is the first year that we've really spoken a lot about their offense because usually they have one or two big playmakers. They're probably more balanced on offense than they've ever been. But, um, you know, defensively, you know, that's that's the way to go. But for uh, to shut down Oregon, um, you've got to shut down Dylan Mitchell. Um, he had 14 catches last week for 239 yards, so he had a huge game against Stanford. Find a way to stop him, which uh, the Golden Bears have one of the best secondaries in the country, so that shouldn't be too big of an issue. So give me the home Cal Golden Bears. All right. Well, let's now switch to our spread formations. We're not doing so well, guys, this year coming into the weekend. Josh, you're sitting at six and fourteen, coach at seven and thirteen. I'm at nine and eleven. Let's uh let's get on the right side this weekend. So we'll start in in the battle of New York non Syracuse division. <laughs> We've got a, a interesting one taking place in Buffalo. The Bulls are seven and a half point favorites at home against Army. Josh, who've you got? All right, so Army burned me with Hawaii. But I think a lot of that was traveling 13 hours. That was just me being dumb. Army played so well against Oklahoma. I think that works against them because when Buffalo pops in the tape, they're going to be like, holy crap, we got to take these guys seriously. They took Oklahoma to overtime. Buffalo, 4-0. They're ranked in my poll. Check it out at BigTenAndCounty.com. The other thing, Army, they hold the ball forever. Here's the thing, though. Buffalo doesn't seem to mind quick scores. I looked at the play by, or the play chart against Rutgers. They had a touchdown drive. Five plays, 63 yards, a minute 26. Another touchdown drive. Six plays, 73 yards, 223. Another touchdown. Five plays, 63 yards, 208. Another touchdown. Six plays, 79 yards, 118. And so on and so on and so on. That might just be a factor of the fact that Rutgers apparently doesn't teach tackling. <laughs> Rutgers uh, doesn't teach much of anything. I'm going to go, go with my UB Bulls. Uh, I think they cover. I think they are the favorites in the MAC. They're in the Josh, driver's wait, seat. Wait, hold on a second. Hold on. I've a second. got them Josh. ranked. Josh, what? you can't claim the Bulls as your own. This is these are these are at least the groups, if not mine. I'm claiming ownership on the Bulls. <laughs> I've 
I previewed them coming into the season. I've featured them in quick slants three times. I'm pretty sure I'm the only one that picked them to win the Mac. Uh, that is incorrect. I did as well. <laughs> I think we had Damn. a clean sweep there. <laughs> no. Coach, uh, no, Coach according to my records, you picked Toledo. Did I? I did yeah. pick Toledo. They, they're beating Buffalo. That's what it was. Yeah. Well, either way, I got the Bulls covering. All right, Coach. All right, long story short, um, with this game, I think Josh uh, had a very long-winded uh, explanation for my analogy. Uh, I'll give you a high school analogy here. This is Hillwood versus Cheatham County Central. For those of you listening around the world, um, Cheatham County Central is Army. They run this this spread triple. Um, Paul Johnson would would uh, he would have a fit if someone called it the uh, the flex bone or just the triple option. He calls it spread option. So um, <laughs> Buffalo is a is a high octane big play score quick score anytime they need to uh, type offense, which is Hillwood. Um, and even though Cheatham County probably dominated the time of possession in our matchup, we scored. Uh, I think we had a two-play drive for for a touchdown. We had a one-play drive for a touchdown. Uh, Then we had, uh, after that, there was one that was like a five-play drive. And then I think we had another two-play drive and another four-play drive for touchdowns. So uh, trying to figure out, you called me being long-winded. And now <laughs> I know long story short, too late. Uh, <laughs> More of a short story long in this case. Yeah, true. I'm going to be real quick. I promise. 10 minutes later. I tuned out when you started mentioning Chetwood Hills tech. <laughs> Chetwood Hills tech. Um, <laughs> but very uh, long winded uh, intention with the intention of being short-winded answers, I'm picking Buffalo uh, because they can score quick and they can, uh, they can, it doesn't matter what time of possession for them because they're, they're proving to be explosive week in and week out. Army second week in the, in a row on the road, even though, you know, uh, traveling from West Point to Buffalo, not nearly as arduous as getting all the way to Norman. Still across the Adirondacks. It's uh, over the mountains. So, you know, it's, I, I think Army is going to ha- be hungover from the Oklahoma game. So I've got now, Matt, are either of these areas in the Finger Lakes? Where's that? Uh, Finger Lakes are between the two of them. They actually have to cross the Finger Lakes. I believe they're going to have to uh, ford uh, with their canoes, uh, maybe do some footage. Perfect. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Let's head next to a Sunbelt opener for two contenders. Georgia Southern hosts Arkansas State. Red Wolves are three-point favorites on the road. Josh, who do you like? i got to be honest. The Fun Belt has missed their patented marquee upset outside of Troy, maybe, knocking off Nebraska. So they haven't quite been on my radar as much. But I'll tell you what caught my eyes. The Red Wolves knocked off a Conference USA team and a Mountain West team. It appears that they are punching upwards, uh, knocking off a little bit bigger conferences. So I'm going to say Arkansas State gets it done on the road. All right. Coach. Josh, I hate that you're going first in that scenario because um, I think Justin Henson, is, Justin Henson is rolling right now. And Arkansas State has a ton of momentum going. Uh, Georgia Southern is – Still kind of trying to find themselves. Um, you know, we don't really know what they've got. They 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 gave 
Clemson a tough run, but um, I think they fall short at Paul at Allen E. Paulson Stadium. Uh, I'm going to also take the Red Wolves. I really want to take Georgia Southern here. I'm I'm, I'm really tempted to so take them. I, I don't know though. Uh, they're, they're, the, the problem with Georgia Southern, they got they just got whooped up on uh, versus Clemson in their last game, but they've had a week off since then. So I don't know how they're if they're going to be coming out, you know, guns a hundred percent. So I'm I'm going to take Arkansas State and stay on the safe side. All right, uh, interesting one in the ACC taking place in Raleigh. The Wolfpack, five-and-a-half-point favorites at home over Virginia in their strong defense. So, Josh, which side are you on? Man, this one's tough because uh, Virginia's overachieving. They almost knocked off Indiana in Bloomington to get to 4-0. and Looked really good against a struggling Louisville team. Their uniforms are great. They retooled them this year. I don't know if you guys have seen them, but – uh, Virginia is a team that sometimes does not use their orange to the best of their ability. Here's the problem, though. NC State's a different animal. Ryan Finley, one of the best quarterbacks in the country. This defense is on fire, allowing just 13.3 points per game. That's ninth best in the country. I think the hot start for the Hoos cools a little bit as NC State, a little bit better team talent-wise playing at home, manages to cover this thin spread. Coach? Well, as good as Virginia is playing, as good as they're playing defensively, I think this is going to be a tight one for a really long time. Uh, I think that you're going you're gonna to see NC State is going to struggle at times. I think Virginia is going to have a good game plan against Ryan Finley, but I just think NC State's too talented across the board uh, to, to lose this one. I, I think that, you know, what Virginia's edge was, was defense, but in order, but they still have to score points too. And I, I think that's going to be tough sledding against a, a very good Wolfpack defense. All right. Well, uh, so I'm picking I, the Wolfpack if you, did, if you didn't catch yeah, on. I, I, I got that. I also agree that Virginia is overachieving. And I think just NC State with the leadership of Ryan Finley should be able to win this one by a touchdown. So I will also take North Carolina State. We're being really boring and agreeing this week. Uh, let's head, though, to another <laughs> conference opener, this time Conference USA. Mason Fine and the explosive North Texas offense will have to keep up with another potent attack in Louisiana Tech. Mean Green giving seven and the hook at home, Josh. What's your call? I think North Texas is the better team. North Texas is sniffing and getting ranked into my poll. They've got that awesome offense with Mason Fine. But here's a little inside info. They're going to be super fired up for this game. They are wearing Mean Joe Green era throwbacks. His number, 75, has been retired for 50 years. They're bringing it back for one game only. And they had a promotional video for it where he tosses his jersey, just kind of like the old uh, Coca-Cola ad with him. North Texas is going to be fired up. I think they lay a licking on the Bulldogs. I like that, Josh. Coach? Well, seeing this is my last chance to disagree with you, um, I can't do it this week. Uh, I can't. Because um, I'm not picking Rutgers. Uh, and uh, just to give you a little preview, I'm not picking Rutgers. Um, and Louisiana Tech, as good as they are, they're just getting ready to run into a buzzsaw, if you ask me. Uh, I think 
North Texas is on fire. Uh, they've got all the uh, they've got all the juice right now, and they're at home, and they're seven and a half point favorites. So, um, I I'm thinking about I might call an audible later on before we sign <laughs> off, um, but I'm taking North Texas at seven and a half. Otherwise, I might uh, I might pick Louisiana Tech to cover, but North Texas to win. Um, so tentatively. I'm going to uh, pick North Texas, uh, but that is up for further review. Uh, just one other thing before Matt makes his pick about this game, the boys from Denton. This is where everyone should go for their North Texas news. We've talked about this program being a sleeping giant, just with their recruiting and not too much in the way of Texas competition in Conference USA for them. They're They're well-suited to win a lot of recruiting battles. This game also – it marks and breaking ground on a state-of-the-art practice facility. This is on top of a brand-new stadium that was built just a few seasons ago, maybe about four or five years ago. This is a program and a university really committed to, uh, dare I say, they're trying to be kind of a little bit of a Boise State maybe down in Conference USA where they want to be the premier football program of that conference they're looking the part so far. I think they're just going to be super fired up. All right. Well, we're boring. <laughs> we, we are all on the same side, and we're all picking favorites in every single game so far. I think that's a reflection on how bad our picks have been. Well, then. Yeah, uh, Josh, you said it. Uh, mean Green. It's Mean Joe Green weekend, and I'm all in on that. Okay, guys, the worst Power 5 team mantle has officially been passed to the Scarlet Knights. So it is thus our duty as a, a podcast who covers all of college football to include them in our weekly picks. <laughs> this week's they are underdogs yet again at home, this time to the tune of 17 points. Uh, in this case, Indiana is coming into town. Josh, any chance Rutgers covers? Nope. The Hoosiers are really angry because they slept walk through the first half against Michigan State. Totally squandered an opportunity to win that game. They are balanced. They are better than they are than they were last year. And last year they won this game forty one nothing. Coach. I think uh I think Rutgers' best chance of winning this game is uh, Indiana getting held up at the airport by by TSA. Um, Seventeen, and the fact that this is an easy easy pick because Indiana only has to only has to cover a seventeen and a half point spread. the the poor The poor souls that were playing against Kansas had to cover thirty and forty point spreads. So Indiana's got it easy. Uh, yeah. My dad was my dad officially retired this weekend from work. He also officially retired from ever associating himself with Rutgers. So I can't do that anymore either. So let's take Indiana. Uh, but guys, it would be spread formation. We can't just give up on Kansas. So we're, we're, guys, we're, we're having a sick pick this week. We we just have to. Good. Uh, this week, Rock Chalk Nation seventeen home seventeen point home dogs to Oklahoma State. They're coming into town off of that hardy beat down against Texas Tech. Josh Trapp is the track going to be able to trip up the <laughs> mullet enough to cover this one. 
Well, I was trying to look for a silver lining in Kansas's 26-7 to loss at Baylor. Like, maybe they moved the ball, but it had a bunch of turnovers. The fact is, they can't pass the ball at all. They are 117th in passing yards. That doesn't work in pretty much any conference, but it's really bad in the pass-happy Pac-12. Pass happy Big 12. Okie State puts up a whole bunch of points, a number that Kansas just can't possibly get close to. Okie State. Coach. Why? Why do we always have to agree? I don't like this. We can't agree. Um, I'm going to pick Okie State here just because they're better. <laughs> that is excellent analysis. They are just better in all, <laughs> all facets of the sport of football. Uh, they lead. They are. They they have an advantage over Kansas in every category, including coaching. Although uh, Mike Gundy, Mike Gundy had another run in with the press, so that could possibly be a distraction. <laughs> for the Cowboys, maybe. Um, he didn't. He didn't tell everybody he's a man. So, um, at least. He's got that going for him. But, yeah, I'm, I'm – He doesn't taking... need to tell them. They already know. He's already asserted that 10 years ago. Yeah. Well, let's, let's throw an audible then because we agreed on all of them. Whoa, uh, whoa, 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 whoa. Uh, oh. I'm not picked yet. You're, you're picking Oklahoma State. You've loved Gundy for as long as I've known you. Yeah. I, what, your, your skepticism towards Coach GQ and the rest is sort of the yin to the yang of my love of my Gundy. <laughs> Um, but you know, Oklahoma state last weekend, they were vulnerable to the run against Texas tech. I really like Puka Williams too. Really like Puka Williams, but there's no chance that Kansas covers this. Absolutely zero. Yeah. Dude, he, 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 he Lee Corsoed us on that one. <laughs> well, here's what I was going to say for calling an audible way back during his quick slant. I'm pretty sure coach said that he never knew Georgia covering a 30 plus point spread in an SEC game. I will say, yes, they cover that against the woeful Vols. Oh, okay. There you go. I'm just going to say yes, because I want them to cover. I'm not necessarily agreeing with you, but I'm just, I want to I'm will it to happen. So, yes, that's a good pick. All right. Well, with that, it is time for us to finish up. So, uh, Josh, any final words? Well, I mean, unfortunately, uh, we buried the lead. I, I think, I think Coach might have mentioned the, the hogs in passing, but it's really not official until I do it in super enthusiastic sarcasm. Uh, the Arkansas Razorback pass defense, it, it struggled this year. Uh, Mason Fine picked them, picked them apart. Colorado State, who uh, looks dreadful now, picked the Razorbacks apart. Uh, a half-asleep Auburn team still had some nice passing yards. You're but, giving them too much credit. They were fully asleep. <laughs> uh, but Arkansas, Arkansas finally gets a break in the action. They get... Texas A&M, who I'm just not – I'm not sure this Kellen Mung kid is is the future. I mean, he's only had one 400-yard game this season. He's only got over 1,000 yards through four games. He's only got seven touchdowns to two interceptions. Uh, I'm just not buying this sophomore. It, it looks like a sophomore slump. I think Jimbo's got this thing spiraling. Um, this is – 
This is prime real estate for Arkansas to get off the schneid in the SEC. Uh, Razorbacks, big at home. Uh, Josh, uh, fun fact. Do you know how many, uh, do you know what the uh, average net hunting yards for Arkansas is this year? It's got to be really high. Well, it, it's, it's somewhere between 15 yards and 80. That is correct. It is 27. <laughs> Good for 127th in the country. How are you that bad at punting when you get way more you reps than everybody so else? much. Well, I will say Arkansas is doing something really interesting. They're, they're pooching the punt really high and just having to go a few yards. So they're hoping that as those blockers are trying to block, the ball comes down, just boom, hits them right in the top of the helmet. It's a really ingenious strategy. Arkansas's already recovered 15 muff punts, so it's safe to say that it's working. Also, isn't Chad Morris supposed to be some sort of offensive genius? Because they are 97th in total offense and 117th in passing efficiency. Look, you, you, can't, you can't perfect greatness through four weeks. Check back where this team is in four more years. Okay, okay. <laughs> well then. Uh, coach, words from you? Well, uh, <laughs> I can't really follow that up, but a very interesting Mountain West game uh, out in Laramie, uh, Wyoming uh, hosts. Uh, they're actually 17-point home underdogs against the Broncos of Boise State, so pay attention to that game. Uh, that'll be interesting to watch. By the way, I think the number of times we've had an interesting game in Laramie is, like, insanely high. We love Laramie, I guess. I mean, we are huge in Wyoming. Hashtag also, also uh, Dream Style Stadium uh, in Albuquerque, New Mexico, pits the uh, Lobos versus you named it <laughs> Liberty. Oh gosh! New Mexico's only six and a half point favorites in that matchup. Just so you know, that's sad. That's mm. really sad for them. That's a shame. All right. Well, with that, it is time to finish up. So on behalf of our own offensive coordinator here in the Music City, Coy Burton, and our intrepid blogger from Big Ten and Counting up there in the Windy City, Josh Cook, this is the professor in Nashville saying so long and see you next time on the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. Don't bury the lead. Woo, pig suey. Thanks for listening to the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. To get in touch with the show, email us at illegalmotionpodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at illegal underscore motion. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.